Hello and welcome everybody to another edition, <coughs> excuse me, of the Saturdays for the Byzantines podcast. My name is Professor Wren. I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking about the beginning of the end of the Byzantine Empire. Now it's a long end. It's uh, very drawn out, very dramatic. But I would say that the topic we are discussing here today is the first step in many steps of the end of the Byzantine Empire. And by the time I get to the end of the episode, you will see why. Uh, I do apologize that my voice probably sounds a little different, probably sound a little more nasally. I've been battling a little cold here uh, this past week. So I may, uh, maybe some pauses where I mute my microphone here in order to blow my nose. I think I'm, I, I joked to a friend of mine earlier today that I was going to go through a box of tissues just this weekend, but looking at the, the box of tissues, it's right next to me here right now. May not even get me through tomorrow. So hopefully, hopefully that turns out for us. All right. Uh, if you're finding this video on YouTube, please make sure to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new and hit the notification bell so that you never miss another episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, please make sure to give us a follow and then as well a five-star review. So <clears throat> getting into it here now, uh, we're going to be talking mainly about the Emperor uh, Heraclius, who we left off talking about in our last episode, where Heraclius uh, usurps, takes over the Byzantine throne from the previous usurper, uh, who was Phocas, who had overthrown the Emperor Maurice after he uh, for a second time, uh, cut soldiers' pay, basically. There was a mutiny among one of the Byzantine armies at that point in time. They uh, marched on the capital, Constantinople, and deposed uh, Maurice. Now, Focus did not last very long because, uh, as a usurper, he was viewed as illegitimate. And so, very quickly, he was overthrown as well by Heraclius. Now, Heraclius was born in 575 in Cappadocia, though he's an ethnic Armenian, uh, and his reign lasted from about 610 until 641 at his death. Now, his father, who was also named Heraclius, served as a general under Maurice, and for his service, he was appointed the exarch of North Africa. Now, I, I mentioned this in the previous episode, but if you have missed it, first of all, I'd recommend that you go check it out. Uh, but an exarch, uh, the Byzantines at this point in time, especially with the Western provinces, which were recaptured by Justinian, an exarch is someone who is essentially appointed, uh, they have both military and civil authority in, in a particular region, and they have a good deal of autonomy. Uh, the Byzantines started using exarchates, especially in the West, so that they, the, the workload of administering those provinces uh, was greatly reduced for the government in Constantinople because at this point in time, they are a bit overstretched. And so if you can take uh, some things off the plate of the government in Constantinople, certainly is going to be of benefit. Now Heraclius' father, first, uh, from his position as exarch, 
of North Africa, he sent his nephew, uh, Nicetus, overland, marched overland across Africa to Egypt on a mission to depose Phocas. Then after that, uh, Nicetus does have some success here against uh, Phocas uh, in, in terms of battling. And there we go. There's the first of our several pauses. I had to sneeze there. Anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, but so after Nicetus marches over land and, and starts fighting with focus in Egypt, uh, Heraclius the Younger is sent with the fleet to Constantinople to finish the job. And he does, and he overthrows uh, focus and he is, he names himself uh, the new Byzantine emperor. However, Heraclius is going to have the same problem that Phocas had to contend with, namely that he was a usurper. He didn't really have a legitimate claim uh, to the Byzantine throne, although granted, uh, his claim was about as legitimate as anyone else who was around at that point in time. You know, not being the, the heir to an emperor who dies of natural causes, uh, mostly what we're talking about here. Another issue uh, this is not, and this is not just an issue uh, internally in the Byzantine Empire for Heraclius. It's also an issue externally because the Persian king Khosrau, who we talked about in our last uh, lecture, also does not recognize Heraclius as the as the legitimate ruler of the Byzantine Empire, and he uses this as an excuse to invade the empire in uh, 611. Now, keep in mind that the Byzantines just had kind of procured. A little bit of a piece here, uh, although there's still there's still a lot of chaos going on between territory changing hands and the Persians had just invaded, and uh, uh, things are in a very precarious situation, which is about to be. Uh, uh, the Persians are really going to push them over the edge here. So, the Persian army surges through Syria and they end up taking the city of Antioch, which is a, this is a, a really catastrophic. Uh, for the Byzantines here for a number of reasons. One, Antioch is it's a patriarchal seat. It is one of the biggest cities in the Eastern Empire. Uh, it's one of the wealthiest cities in the Eastern Empire. It's a center of trade. but And as well, it also cuts the empire in half, right? Anatolia and uh, Greece and the Balkan provinces are now cut off from Palestine and Egypt and Syria at this point is essentially lost. Now Heraclius is going to try to rally here to attack the Persians near Antioch, but he's driven back. And from there, after Heraclius is driven back, he kind of has to do a tactical retreat into Anatolia, which is, which is easily defensible because it's very mountainous, especially uh, Eastern Anatolia is very mountainous. And so you can easily defend it with, with fortifications and mountain passes. This is why the Byzantines were able to hold on to it for such a long time moving into the future. Uh, but the Persians moved south into Palestine, they conquer Jerusalem, and they remove the true cross from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, for maybe those of you who don't know, is a church that is built over uh, uh, the site where uh, Jesus uh, was buried and resurrected, 
if you want, you can go, uh, there's a really good documentary done by uh, History, I believe it was done by History Channel a couple of year, a number of years ago at this point. Uh, but it features uh, an archeological couple, uh, the Biddles, who I believe are from Oxford. Uh, and the Biddles do uh, an archeological examination of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And uh, they, neither, I, I don't believe either of, one, either of them are religious. Does, it does seem to be that, uh, uh, at least I'm under the impression that the Biddles are uh, irreligious, atheist, agnostic, something along those lines. Uh, but they come to the conclusion that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was indeed built over the site where Jesus was, was buried. Uh, and the true cross is just, it's, it's a relic that uh, people uh, believe and, and seems to be the case that it is the cross that Jesus was crucified on. And now as the Persians uh, wrap up in Palestine, they also then move on to Egypt. And by 620, uh, the Byzantines had lost about half their empire, Syria, Palestine, and Egypt. 620 is when the, the Persians campaign in Egypt starts wrapping up. Uh, not to mention these are the most prosperous parts of the empire. Again, all the big population centers, you've lost three patriarchal sees at this point. Um, the five were uh, Rome, obviously where the Pope is, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. And now Jerusalem, Alexandria, and Antioch are now lost. Uh, those, are, those are also some of the wealthiest cities in the, Easter, in the uh, Byzantine Empire, Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, and as well, um, uh, some of the largest population centers. So, so this, is a, this is a very big deal. Uh, the, the, art, the, the empire has been halved, basically. Now, Heraclius at this point has to make some pretty serious decisions he has to make and some really tough decisions. And so one of the things that he does is he has to half the pay of soldiers and civil servants. Now, as we talked about before, uh, in and I was very critical of the Emperor Maurice for cutting the pay of soldiers, but the thing was that, you know, half of the, the, the Maurice had not lost half his empire. And as a result, you know, a significant portion of revenue you know, he was, he was just kind of looking to save, save a few dollars and cut some corners, it seems like. Uh, Heraclius is in a very different, diff, different situation, and the soldiers seem to have realized that. The severity of the situation they were in, because they embraced the sacrifice, the soldiers do not mutiny as a result of their pay being cut. If anything, they uh, really start to rally at this point in time because they recognize that the, the, the situation is so dire. Now Heraclius, as I said, he uh, basically organizes a tactical retreat into Anatolia. And from there, he's going to set out uh, on his campaign to fight back against the Persians and to retake uh, the portions of the empire that he has just lost. Again, I do apologize for the breaks here. Uh, in the recording, 
this this cold you know I, and i was just sick like not that long ago the, those of you who listen consistently you probably remember i was sick maybe four or six weeks ago and and granted when you work as a teacher you know you work in schools and it, it's inevitable that you're going to get sick from time to time um but it wasn't that long ago that i was that i was sick before uh emperor atlantis by the way i'd have i have tried your uh suggestion of ginger tea uh not my not my favorite not it doesn't not the best tasting. I'm more, I'm more of a coffee guy, but I do, I do think it definitely, when I sat, when I started drinking it, the sore throat that I had a couple days ago went away. So thanks for that. I do, I do appreciate that. Shout out to Emperor Atlantis, excellent subscriber. Now those, th those things are dire. Uh, Heraclius still manages to assemble a pretty big army estimated about 50,000 men. And he's about to go up. He marches through Eastern Anatolia, and he's going to attack the Persians and the, the best Persian general, the best general the Persians have available. His name is uh, Sharvaraz. He's in Eastern Anatolia at the time, and this is this is going to be uh, the, fir the, the first battle in, the, in this kind of phase of the war between the Byzantines and the Persians, although there's you know, God knows how many wars between the Byzantines and the Persians. Uh, but the, Byzantine, the Byzantines do win this battle. Um, and although it's not a crushing victory, it was the first win that the Byzantines had had in quite a while. So it does pro provide a significant morale boost to the army. You know, the, the Byzantines have really been kind of kicked down and, you know, basically curb stomped here for, for a couple of years. And uh, especially, you know, for people who's pretty accustomed to uh, uh, having lots of, lots of victories, uh, certainly I, I would imagine, you know, if you're in the Byzantine army, you're feeling a little discouraged. And so to get a win here uh, in this first kind of resurgence of your campaign uh, definitely has to, has to make you feel pretty good. Now coming off the back of the success, Heraclius wanted to move right into Persian territory and, and kind of strike, right? You know, the Persians just struck at my homeland. I'm going to strike at your homeland. So, by marching through Armenia, Heraclius attacks the Persians in Atrapatene. Uh, mod this is modern Azerbaijan, and it also would have been uh, basically the homeland of Cyrus the Great. Uh, him being me, well, I, I looked this up when I was teaching when I was teaching our, our kids ancient Persia. Uh, it seems that some people dispute the fact that Cyrus is a Mede or was a Mede. Uh, that I was always taught that Cyrus was was a Mede. Um, Leave in the comments if uh, if you um, know anything otherwise to that. Um, but but I, I find you know the significance here that, that this for for the Persians this is kind of where all of their greatness got started with with Cyrus. Now the Persian king Khosrau again he assembles a massive army here to fight back against the Byzantines. Uh, although the Byzantines do beat them back, and he basically, uh, Heraclius basically runs uh, Khosrau's army out of Atrapatene. And uh, the, in the following year, the Persians come back. Uh, ba basically, what happened here was, was there, there's the one battle where Heraclius defeats uh, the Persian army, and then it's, it's basically wintertime, the campaign season is over. Uh, Heraclius goes back to winter uh, in friendly territory, and then he comes back in uh, 625. Uh, Khosrau and the Persians come back again, come back with actually a bigger army, but Heraclius defeats them again. He actually defeats them several times. 
Now, the year after that, 626, the Persians form an alliance with the Avars. Now, the Avars, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but if you're just if you're just joining us, the Avars are a group of uh, Central Asian, uh, uh, one of these many groups that come, you know, Turkic groups that come out of Central Asia, uh, nomadic raiders who come come on down and give uh, the Byzantines and other other groups in Europe a hard time here. Now, and as I said, the Avars are going to form an alliance with the Persians, and they're going they're going to attempt a joint attack on Constantinople. The Persian general, uh, Sharvaraz, again, uh, main Persian general here, the best they have to offer, uh, he cleverly ends around Heraclius' army and gets behind them and starts marching across Anatolia towards Constantinople. And he does reach, he reaches the Bosphorus and he's basically on the Asian uh, uh, treadgold here. And again, I'm using Warren Treadgold's uh, Concise History of Byzantium for most of this. Uh, treadgold says that uh, the Persians reach the Asian suburbs. Of, of Constantinople. And then the Avars, along with the, Sla and the Slavs, and I should note here that the Avars are essentially ruling over the Slavs at this point in time, so they're, they're combining their forces. Uh, they invade by crossing the Danube and marching through Thrace. And so you have the Avars and the Slavs on the, on the European side of Constantinople and the Persians on the Asian side of Constantinople. Now, fortunately, the Avars and the Slavs did not have the means to overcome the Theodosian walls. Really, nobody does up until the, the Ottomans in 1453. And what, uh, what the Avars and the Slavs tried to do is they tried to ferry the Persians across the Bosphorus onto the European side. Uh, Treadgold says they use canoes, which just just sounds like a terrible idea. You know, the Byzantine Navy is going to come, come around and... and foil this pretty easily. And now, but what ultimately saves the day for the Byzantines is that uh, they intercept a message from the king, from the king of Persia, Khosrau, that he wants to have Sharvaraz uh, executed. Now the Byzantines with this intercepted message bring it to Sharvaraz, basically tip him off about the danger that he's in. And Sharvaraz, understandably in disgust, uh, withdraws his army. And basically from this point on, is not even going to take orders from the Persian king. And I mean, who can blame him, right? You know, he's, he's the best general that the Persians have. He's going out and he's doing the best he can, uh, uh, attacking the Byzantines where it matters the most. And the thanks he gets from his king is, well, I'm going to have you executed. Uh, not, not exactly, <laughs> not exactly uh, the nicest thank you gift uh, he could have gotten. Uh, and at this point, the Avars also go home as well because they can't, they realize they, they don't have the means to take Constantinople without the help of the Persians here. as we move along here. Now in uh, 627, 
Heraclius uh, comes back at the Persians yet again. Uh, and his the army is said to, you know, Treadgold says that uh, the Byzantine army at this point in time is 70,000. Uh, and the, this is combined Byzantine soldiers plus allied troops uh, and mercenaries as well. Uh, but still 70,000, that's, that's a large army, uh, especially considering that, that the, the Byzantine empire has basically been cut in two. And this time in uh, 627, Heraclius is going to make for the, the real uh, uh, center of the Persian Empire, which is Mesopotamia. Now, this is uh, Khosrau's kind of last stand here, and it comes near the ruins of the old town of Nineveh, like from the Bible, like where Jonah, God told uh, Jonah to go in the Bible. And by 628, the following year, the Byzantines are threatening uh, Tesaphon or Stesaphon, I've heard it pronounced both ways, uh, the capital, uh, which is really the capital of the Persian Empire. Uh, uh, Tesaphon is not too far off from where ancient Babylon would have been. And I, I actually think it's not too far, I believe it's in not too far from Baghdad, modern Baghdad as well. Uh, but by this point, Chris Rao is completely surrounded. He, he has no chance. Uh, but he's he still doesn't want to surrender. Uh, he refuses to even even come to the negotiating table. And so, for his hard headedness, he was deposed and killed by his own son, Kavad the Second. Now, uh, Kavad uh, comes to the negotiating negotiating table with the Byzantines. He sues for peace and. In exchange for uh, uh, ending the war, <coughs> uh, Kavad offers to free all the prisoners who were captured uh, by the Persians during the war. Now, though this is not great terms, Heraclius still accepts the peace deal anyway because you need this war to end because it's very expensive. You still don't have uh, you know, half of your empire and you need to cut your losses somewhere. Now, fortunately for the Byzantines, in uh, 630, they had an opportunity to back the old general Sharvaraz. Uh, he makes an attempt to seize the throne. The Byzantines back him, and he does indeed uh, get himself on the throne. And in exchange for that, uh, in exchange for the Byzantine support, uh, Sharvaraz returns Syria, Palestine, and Egypt to the Byzantines, as well as giving them back the True Cross, which is brought back to Jerusalem. Now, unfortunately for Shavaraz, he was, he was assassinated two months after taking the throne. So it's a pretty good deal for the Byzantines, right? You support a guy uh, to get him on the throne. He gives you back half your empire, and then you don't even need to deal with him because he's dead two months later. And the pre-war borders are restored. And as I said, the true cross is returned to Jerusalem. So really this is, the, it's quite an astounding accomplishment here by Heraclius. Um, that he was a, that he lost half, that he inherits his empire. He, he he comes into the Byzantine Empire first of all, not being recognized by anyone, basically being viewed as illegitimate. Uh, inherits a fairly unstable situation. Uh, loses half of his empire within the span of of a couple of years. I mean, this is that the campaign we talked about here earlier was not a long campaign. I mean, I'm going to go back and check the years here for a second, but basically by 620. Uh, Syria, Palestine, and Egypt are lost, and he comes to the throne uh, in 610. So within a decade, he loses half of his empire. 
um, basically, you know, and, and, the, and the most important part of his empire as well, again, the, in terms of financially, uh, it's the most uh, profitable, there's the most people there, there's patriarchal seas, all of these things. And, and he's able to, and he's able to come back from it. He's able to, and not, and not just that, but the Persian empire at this point, the Sassanid dynasty is, is finished. Um, when the Muslims invade, the, the Persia puts up basically no fight against, against the Arab Muslims at all. I mean, the Byzantines though, granted were, I mean, I'm not exactly spoiling anything here. This happened you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, you know, the Byzantines will lose, will lose half their empire to, to the Arab Muslims, but they're going to hold out for another, oh geez, uh, this is about 650. So let's see, uh, to 1,700, that's 300 to 1,400, uh, so that makes 700. So basically another 800 years, uh, the, Byz the Byzantines are going to hold out uh, their fight against, against well, uh, for a while, the Arab Muslims, and then as time goes on, it'll be more of the Turkish Muslims. But regardless, you know, the Persia puts up no such fight at all. Uh, so it's, it's still very impressive, although very sad. Um, we're, we're, we're definitely entering the sad part of Byzantine history. Uh, although there are some high points for the most part, <laughs> from here on out, we're going to be talking about a lot, a lot of low points for Byzantine history. Our next lecture, by the way, uh, we are going to divert from talking purely about Byzantines. Gonna we're gonna have to do uh, a lecture on uh, the beginnings of Islam, uh, which you really, I mean, I, I, I don't see how you avoid uh, uh, addressing that subject uh, in, in a lecture series like this. But so it sounds like, it sounds like here, this should be really a happy ending for Heraclius. He, he conquers back half of the empire, uh, but major problems still exist. Uh, churches, for example, had fallen into disarray under, under the rule of the Persians, because now you have uh, basically a whole generation of people who have come up without sacraments or, or even just adults. People had not received sacraments for a very long time because churches are, especially in, in these, I guess you could call them late antique or uh, uh, I don't know what time period, these aren't really early middle ages, but whatever time period we're talking about, you know, churches are going to need to be repaired fairly frequently and they were not allowed to be, repairs were not allowed to be made on churches uh, while the Persians were in control here. And as churches become damaged and roofs are, you know, cracking and you know, people aren't gonna wanna go in there because it's not safe. Uh, and so you end up in situations where people go a, a very long time without having sacraments, their children are not, you know, being brought up with sacraments. And, and so this is, this is a gap that when the Byzantines are coming back in and you have people ruling who are accustomed to all of these things and are expecting all of these things um, and they're ruling over people who have not experienced it in quite a while, it's going to, it's, it's a gap. There's, there's, there's a, uh, Yeah, yeah, I got, I'm sorry, I can't think of a better word for it, but there's just, there's this gap between the, the, the Byzantines who are coming back to rule and the people who are there ruling over. Uh, people are also not accustomed to living under Byzantine uh, governments. They're, they, you know, they spent at least the past decade, uh, really two decades, or, well, yeah, but yeah, it's about two decades, uh, living under Persian governance. So that's another disconnect. Um, that people have with you know the upcoming generation or even just what people have become accustomed to and the new Byzantine leaders. 
So Heraclius basically has to re-Romanize all of these areas against Syria, Palestine, and Egypt. And in doing so, he ended the old system of the dominant, which was the provincial uh, administrative system, which was set up by Diocletian and um, really upheld and enforced by Constantine, and the Romans had been using it ever since then. Uh, that goes back to the late 200s. Sorry, I had to sneeze there again. It's not your your headphones haven't cut out or your speakers are still working. That was, that's on that's on my end, guys. Uh, but so, like I said, Heraclius has to attempt to re-Romanize these areas. Uh, they they phase out the dominant, and instead um, they're going to install exarchs, as I mentioned earlier, like the exarchates. How uh, Heraclius' father was the exarch of North Africa. Now you're also going to have exarchates in all of these uh, uh, traditional regions of the of the Byzantine Empire, again to kind of take some of the burden off Constantinople for governing these areas and trying to re-Romanize them. Uh, but another issue that Heraclius has to deal with right now is the, that the empire is broke. Uh, assembling a seventy thousand man army is quite impressive, but it costs a lot of money. Even though you, even though he had. Uh, significantly decreased the salary of the soldiers. Uh, he did not have Heraclius did not have the money to do that. Heraclius had to actually had to take out a loan uh, from the Patriarch of Constantinople, whereby he melted down a bunch of the gold from the churches in Constantinople, uh, in in the promise that he would pay back the gold to the churches in Constantinople for maintaining maintaining his army. And Heraclius does pay back this loan. But that's a lot of money. And <laughs> there's, there's just no way to go, there's no two ways about it. That was a lot of money. And, and sure, it, it, it's great that he re repaid it, but you know, when you're having to repay a giant debt like that, you know, that's a lot of money that you can't, you're not using in other areas. And so the... Any sort of stability here was very short-lived, unfortunately, for Heraclius. This is why I said at the end of the last episode that he is really, he's really a tragic hero, in my opinion, because he's heroic in the sense that, obviously, he, he's put in this terrible situation. He loses, um, he loses half of his empire. It looks like he's on the verge of, of collapse, but he comes back, you know, he... he snatches victory from the jaws of defeat, whatever whatever expression you want to use, but really he, he has this very, very impressive comeback. Um, and so you, you, want, you want him to kind of ride off uh, happily into the sunset, but that, that's not what happens. So in the year 633, which is about a year after the death of uh, the prophet Muhammad, uh, the Arabs storm into Byzantine territory with a vengeance. I mean, they are, they are, the, the the tenaciousness 
the or, sorry, the tenacity, tenaciousness is not a word, the tenacity with which the Arabs invade both uh, Persia and the Byzantines is extraordinary uh, uh, in, in, the, in the expansion here in the 600s uh, that you see from, from Islam. And so first they invade Palestine, and then soon after that, uh, the Byzantines face them in Syria. And we get the infamous Battle of the Yarmouk uh, River, which was just a complete disaster here for the Byzantines. There's a number of issues. Uh, for one, the Byzantine Empire is being, the Byzantine army is being led by uh, four or five generals who do not get along, and they're sending conflicting messages to, to the troops. Uh, they got some bad intel. Uh, they were they set up in this in this Yarmouk uh, old riverbed, which was a bad place to set up for the battle, and a combination just a confluence of all these bad things lead to an absolutely catastrophic defeat for the Byzantine army. And Treadgold uh, mentions that a large portion of the Byzantine army was actually run off cliff uh, into the into the gorge, which was down uh, further down into the. Uh, Yarmouk River, but it's not really a river necessary. It's an old river. From from what I remember learning about this in Byzantine history class, uh, it was a dried out riverbed. But now there's nothing stopping the Arabs from running through Syria and Palestine and Egypt. And by the start of the next decade, in the start of about you know, 640, all three of these areas are permanently lost to the to the Byzantine Empire. There's there's no hope of of reconquering this. I mean. Heraclius put out, put forth so much effort, so much money, so much time into reconquering these areas in the first place that it's like it's it's such a gut punch that w within ten, not even ten years, uh, uh, he basically loses it, loses it all again uh, after spending after having spent all that much money after having spent that much manpower you know assembling those armies. Uh, there's just it's it's like an indescribable. It it would be like if your house burnt down, you rebuilt the house, and then this the house you rebuilt caught fire and burnt down. I mean, at that point, you're just like, yeah, fine, I'll I'll live in a cardboard box because that's that's just the luck that I have right now, right? And so this is the first domino that falls in, in again, centuries long. We still have 800 years of Byzantine history left to cover. Uh, so not, not like we're, we're right around the corner from, from the end. But this is the first domino to fall in, in a centuries long conflict between Byzantine, uh, Byzantines and Muslims, whether they're uh, Arab Muslims or Turkish Muslims who will come in later on, which will eventually lead to the fall of the Byzantine Empire. It's a long, slow, painful, tragic death that the Byzantines ha uh, have coming here for them. But there, like I said, there are still some good times uh, uh, coming up. Uh, Byzantines will have some resurgences. They will have some successes against the Muslims. They will have some failures against the Muslims. We'll be here to cover them all. Uh, like I said, next lecture is going to be on the origins of Islam. We'll talk about the Prophet Muhammad. We'll talk about some of basic tenets of Islam, like the, the five pillars and some of the early history uh, leading up to, to the, the wars they have with the Byzantines here. Uh, but again, apologies for kind of a lack of, uh, I understand that I'm not quite as energetic today as I, as I usually am. And I do, again, I do uh, apologize for, for the, the pauses there to, 
so you don't have to hear my sneezing and sniffling. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, I get over this cold in the next couple days here, or at least by Monday, so I can go back and teach. Uh, but if you've made it this far in the video, uh, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Please make sure to share this with your friends, classmates, professors, teachers, family, anyone who you think might be interested or might not be interested. You know, maybe they'll, maybe we'll spark their interest. Uh, please make sure to give this video a like, subscribe to the channel if you're new, and hit the notification bell so you never miss another episode. And then as well, please make sure to, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or any other podcast platforms, please make sure to give us a follow. And if you can, if it's available on your particular app, make sure to leave a five-star review. So that's all I have for you guys today, and I'll see you all next time.